on my heart for quite a long time. In fact, I mentioned over the last month or so about this day. And, but before I jump in, um, you know me and my habits about Proverbs being, today being the fourth. So I picked verse 23 for a proverb of the day uh, from chapter 4. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Great one. If, um, if you have been um, aware of tourist destinations around the world at all, you have probably heard of a place called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Not pizza, okay? Not the Leaning Tower of Pizza. It's the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And um, pretty famous place. It was built 800, almost 850 years ago. It's quite a structure. You can see all the tourists there around the base. And um, it's quite a building. The foundation of the building is like 10 feet tall. That seems like a lot to me, maybe not for a building that size. But at the base of that foundation, the, uh, it's eight feet thick. Pretty herky foundation. And as you can see, they have some problems with it. Um, it's leaning. And actually, they've, this is after they've fixed it a little bit. But at the top, it's like 12 feet off of where it should be. It's not straight up and down. It leans. It's, it's if you were a, a construction worker or someone who would look, hold your plumb bob up there, you'd say the place, it's not true, right? You get the, the phrase, it's not true. And um, maybe something about the construction process tells us some things maybe about human nature more than about physics and construction tech, techniques because there's, there's a story behind this. I mean, they started construction of this, and um, it, it took a couple of hundred years before they actually got it finished, but they built it partway. It got up about to the second or third floor, and it was already leaning. It was already leaning. And so did they stop and fix the problem? No, they didn't. In fact, they let it sit for a while, and then they came up with all these different kinds of solutions to what to do about it. Now, if you're in construction, you'll chuckle about some of the things they did. One of the things that they thought was, well, we'll fix it by building the walls on the downhill side longer than the walls on the uphill side. You get that? So even though it's hunkered over, they were going to fix that by kind of coming around the corner, right? So if you were to study the, the, the building carefully, you'd find out that it's actually curved. It's not straight, and um, it's not true. And, and then that didn't really fix the problem because it kept leaning. And so um, there was um, a lot of effort and brain power put into what are we going to do about this building? And of course, in, 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 in this century, it was a pretty big deal because not for the use of the building, but the thing has turned into a huge financial engine for tourism. People now come because it's this messed up building and they want to see something that people really messed up on. I don't understand that about human nature. Um, part of the story here, though, is... Pisa itself, the name of the community, is actually a translation of a Greek word, which means marshy land. Okay, so if you've ever built anything before, you know that you've got to get a place to build it. So, so the latest fix that they came up with, and this isn't all that long ago, was they looked at it, and the thing is sinking underneath the foundation on one side, obviously. So the whole building is tipping over. One side, the foundation's holding up. The other side, it's, 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 it's going away. In fact, it had been accelerating. So what did they do to fix it? Well, instead of you know, jacking the building back up and fixing the foundation underneath, what they did was they started removing material underneath the good side. Okay? And actually, that did slow down the tilt and let it tilt back the correct direction a 
fraction of a couple of degrees. And now um, they tell us that it's safe. There was a time there where they shut down tourism and they, in fact, removed a whole bunch of apartments that were standing in the shadow in case it came down. It was going to squash them. And, um, but now it's back open. And they tell us it's good for another 200 years. I'm glad, you, glad to know that. That's kind of like, okay, it's safe for now. It'll be somebody else's problem, right? Okay, so the Leaning Tower of Pisa. But there's something here about human nature. Human nature, according to the Tower of Pisa, is it's okay to put your trust in things that you know aren't true. It's okay to do that. And if we go that, down that way... Every single one of us is a little bit at risk. And we have this, uh, this, this tendency as human beings that, that we're, 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 we're aware that we're not really on good ground, good footing here. That, that, that revelation to our soul tends to have not too much effect. I mean, we just kind of accept it sometimes. And then we come up with these patches and these workarounds that kind of make us feel okay for now. But we don't, I mean, there's this thing about life, according to the, the, the human nature, according to the Tower of Pisa. There's a guy who, um, I, now I don't do a lot of poetry up here, although I like poetry and I read poems to my kids. Well, I did more when they were littler, but... Um, um, I don't read a lot of poems up here, but I'm going to read one to you today. I want to tell a little bit about the background, about the guy that wrote this poem. His name was w- William Ernest Henley, and this is a famous poem. It's not very long. He wrote it in the, about, about 1875. He was, um, you know, second half of last century. And at about age 26, he, he had been suffering from tuberculosis, and he was in the hospital, and they said, you know, the complications, this is it down in your bone, we're going to have to take off your leg. So they removed one leg from below his knee. And uh, so he's recovering from that. And the doctor one day says, I got some more bad news for you. We're going to have to now do the other leg. And, and in the middle of that, he says, hold on a minute here. That's too much. Don't accept that. So he goes after a second opinion. And he um, talks to a doctor whose name is Lister. And uh, you would probably recognize his name because he's famous for coming up with antiseptic medicines. In other words, use clean things when you do surgery and maybe there will be a difference. And now we have Listerine because of his name. Anyway, he didn't invent Listerine, but that was the point. It was antiseptic. So he went to work on, on, on uh, William Henley and saved his leg. And, and, and now, this, now, now William Henley, just, this has nothing to do with the poem, but he had another friend whose name was Robert Louis Stevenson, who wrote a book called Treasure Island, and he has a character in that book, a pirate who walks on one leg. And this guy was the inspiration for Long John Silver. So that has nothing to do with it. But, but in the middle of his leg problems, you know, I have such a terrible attention span, and I'm <laughs> sorry to bring you into my problem. But anyway, so, um, so in the middle of all these leg problems, this guy writes this poem that today a lot of times you'll see lines taken out of this poem and quoted in movies. You'll hear it in, in politicians' speeches. Um, there are very famous people. In fact, our president used lines from this a year ago at a, um, at a memorial service when he was eulogizing someone. I mean, it's very, very common. And when you don't hear the direct quotes, you will see them as the theme in most movies. So um, I want to read this to you. And ask you to just to just bear with me. Um, I'm not a f- theatrical type, so but you'll just have to kind of go with me. So, so here we go. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, 
I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. I think here he's talking about death. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate. That is a direct reference to scripture about the, na- the, the, the gate being narrow and the way, okay? It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now, this is a, the title of this was later given a title, Invictus, which is Latin for, for that which is unconquerable. And we tend to hear this poem, and it inspires us. It's good. It seems really good to have that kind of strength that you're just not going to let circumstances in life get you down. But it's fundamentally a poem about self-sufficiency, about independence, about my ability to depend on me and overcome anything that I face in my life. And those two most famous lines that you'll hear uh, are the concluding ones. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And although it's really popular in movie themes, and it's quoted by politicians, and a lot of people have learned this in high school English classes and had to recite it. I'll bet you there are people in this room that that was required for you. I really think that this poem also is an affront to the good and living God because it it just breaks his heart. It breaks his heart because this poem asserts that I am my own God. And any other God that may be out there is really inconsequential when it comes to my own ability to control my own destiny. (laughs) Bless that little one. Oh, nice hat. (laughs) So I I think, you know, although it's a wonderful poem and it inspires lots of things, it's something that God would look at that and go, yeah, not so hot on this poem. I see the gifting here and I get the poetry and I love the the, the resolution of not being ground into powder by the circumstances of life, but it's gone beyond that. And I think that it just breaks the Lord's heart. And I want to talk to you today about one of the names of God that flies in the face of this poem. And we'll see that word all throughout scripture, and that is the, the, the name of God, Adonai. Adonai. Now, there are a lot of names. Uh, God is called a lot of different things in scripture, um, and I'll give you a couple of them. Um, Elohim is the first one you see it right there in uh, Genesis 1-1, in the beginnings. Elohim, God, created the heavens and the earth. And that, that name translated means creator or judge. It's pretty, pretty common. You'll see that. The, the name that appears most frequently in our scripture is, is we pronounce it Jehovah. That's an, that's an English approximation. Um, and there's really no certainty about how you pronounce it because it's actually um, four Hebrew letters put together, yod Vavhe, vav he, which um, basically is a word with, with no vowels put into it because they felt that it was inappropriate for them to say the name of God out loud. So out of reverence, they wouldn't, and so they would, they would put this in here. And, and when you're in your Bible and you see um, the, the word Lord in there, and they're all uppercase, okay? There's 6,800 more than that many, many times in Scripture. That's 
Jehovah, and that is the um, the contraction from those letters being put together, and and it, and 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 it's it's a reference to it's it's. It's, it's taken from one of those letters is, is what God said with I am that I am and I am always present and so there's translations like that for that word and, um, and, and the word Jehovah and, and when we use that when we, ha- when we see the name Adonai in scripture we see it many times as, we see it as Lord L-O-R-D capital L-O-R-D and it's always always a plural word because we have a plural God and I'm not going to keep pounding that away you'll see it a few hundred times in scripture and the meaning is very, very interesting and pertinent to where we're going today. The meaning, the meaning is this. Adonai means to own or be the master of. The Bible makes it very clear that God is the owner of the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills that the cattle graze on. And God is the owner. God is the owner of everything and everyone. He's responsible for everything that he owns. When you own something, you're responsible for it. He's got ownership of all of it. And with that concept, with that truth, comes a very staggering um, issue for us to address, and that's this. If God is the owner, we aren't. You and I are not the owners. And, you know, we want God to do the things that the Word says he can do, but we have a tendency to want him to do that without giving him also the right to own those things and to own us. If you're not willing to give him ownership mastership of your life, then there's something about the flow of God that starts to turn into this trickle, or it gets plugged up, or or it just ceases to flow at all. Rather than this full force of blessing, of God fulfilling what his word says he can and and, and will do. And our problem today is, is, in many ways, that we have Christians who want God to get them to heaven, but they don't want him to own them while they're here on the earth. And we'll hear, um, we'll hear things in the Word, and, and we'll say, well, God promises me this in his Bible, and that's true. But many of God's promises, especially those that are specifically tied to, to um, your personal experience of him in your life, are tied to your Adonai confession. Your Adonai confession of, of who he is right, right here and now. And um, I, I, it's, it's, um, there are so many places in the word, there are so many promises specifically tied to, that are, that, are, that are tied to our confession of his name. And he has to have the right to own that thing, if in fact he's going to do something with it. It's like, you know, no owner, I own my house, kind of, me and the bank, and I'm trying to get full ownership from them. I think I own my house. And I don't notice my neighbors coming over and painting it for me. They have one that they are trying to own. They try to improve and fix their house. If I, you know, I don't go and you, know, you get my point. Nobody is, no owner is about to, to do improve thing, improvements on something somebody else owns. We just don't do that. And many of us have never ever begun to see what God can do if he ever becomes Adonai for us in our circumstances. And not just this general creation God that you know, who made the heavens and the earth and all this other stuff, but, 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 but because now you allow him to own, claim ownership of your life. And God doesn't just want to be in your life. He wants to own your life. And there are lots of examples uh, because he's, he's ultimately responsible. Anyway, there's lots of examples. I'm going to give you a couple of Old Testament ones and then we'll move into the New Testament. Judges 6. So here's the context. Children of Israel, they've been carrying on, doing stuff they ought not to do, and they weren't, they weren't living for, they were ignoring God, basically. And finally, he basically, now this is a paraphrase, he, paraphrase, he basically says, okay, fine, you want things your way, 
Have at it. Okay? And so the Midianites had been, he had kind of held them back spiritually, but then um, starting in verse 2, he says, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, the strongholds, which are in the mountains. So Midian, these pagan people, prevailed against God's children because they had begun worshiping, God's people had begun worshiping idols. And, and they have been tinkering with false gods. And so God says, fine, you want to fiddle around like that? So he, he takes his, his protection off. And, and then here's what happens, verse 7. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord. There's the word Jehovah. See that? Cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. They got tired of being oppressed. Anybody here ever get tired? And they got tired and they cried out to the Lord, Jehovah, help God, help us. And when they did that, an angel of the Lord appears to a guy named Gideon. And verse, verse 12, And the angel of the Lord, that's Jehovah, appeared to him and said, said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. He says, The Lord Jehovah is with you. Well, Lord, if, if you're here, if you're near me, why am I going through this? Why can't I pay my bills? If you're here, why am I so unhappy? Why do I feel so defeated? Why do I feel so alone? If you're supposed to be with me, you know, the great God that I hear about at church on Sundays, how come you're not with me? Verse 14, then the Lord, that's Jehovah, turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So Gideon says to him, here it is. O Adonai, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. I don't qualify. He's saying, how am I going to do this? I got news for you, church. If the Lord says you're qualified, he will qualify you and prepare you. You know, He's saying, I know you don't have a pedigree, I know you don't have a list of letters after your name that you earned, and, and I get all that. But I'm Adonai, and I own you, and I say you're qualified. I've called you. I've determined this. Verse 16, And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. You know, I love this thing that's going on, because you can amaze, you just be amazed at what Jehovah can do what, what the, the I am that I am can do in the most unlikely places with the most unlikely people, you'd be amazed at seeing him overcome the Midianites in your midst. You'd be, you'd be amazed at seeing him overcome the people that are trying to hold you down and to hold you back. The, the circumstances that want to keep you minimizing the Lord's call on your life, minimizing the spiritual growth that the king has set aside for you. And you'd be, you'd be amazed at seeing him overcome the Midianites and the strongholds that are trying to keep you oppressed and addicted and defeated. God says that basically, if I'm your Adonai, you're going to see me work as your Jehovah. If I am your Adonai, you're going to see me be God the creator. You're going to see me be God the present one. You're going to see me be God, the protector, the shield, the tower. You're going to see me be God, the provider. And then God reveals to him, <laughs> this is just really, really, what seems to be a really weird, weird plan. 
It starts in chapter 7. So Gideon says, okay, we're gonna, you, you're sending me, I trust you, God. We're going to get out there and fight these guys. So he, he rousts up the army, and he gets them all built up to about 32,000. He's got the army nice and big and ready. Okay, we're going to go get them, 32,000 of us. And God says, hmm, that's way too many people. I cannot use all those people. So he's saying, you know, you may have a lot of people with you, but maybe they're the wrong people that you're hanging with. So Gideon says, okay. So he goes back and he whittles it down and he gets it down to 20,000. He sends 12,000 of them packing and says, okay, God, I'm ready to fight. And God says, no, 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 still too many people. Here's what we're going to do. I'll give you a way to get this down to the number we need. And so he says, go have them get, get something to drink. And I'm paraphrasing now for you from the story. But basically he says, the ones who, when they drink, keep their head up, hold on to them. But the ones who put their head down when they drink, send them home. What's that all about? He's basically saying, don't, he's not saying just get the really odd, weird ones. He's saying the ones who, when they drink, are still mindful of the circumstances around them. But the ones who put their head down are only focused on getting their own needs met, and I can't use them. Send them home. I need people whose, even while their needs are being met, their focus is on what's going on around them that God might want to use them in, even as they're being satisfied themselves. So this, this, this 32,000 gets whittled down to 20,000, and now it's whittled down to 300. 300. <laughs> they're not thirsty, at least, but it's 300 well-quenched. <laughs> and, you know, and Gideon has got to be thinking, wait a second, you want me, God? to go out there and fight the Midianites with 300 people. And God's saying, no, 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 not exactly. I'm wanting you and 300 people and me to go out there and fight the Midianites. And it's so different when you have 20,000 people that are the wrong people versus 300 people and me 300 of the right people and me. And you're going to see what happens when Adonai, your Lord, goes to work in your situation. Our problem is that for many of us is that we have Jehovah in our midst, but we haven't yet yet met Adonai. He doesn't own anything yet. He's just someone that we go to church and we hear about, and the guy up front talks about him from the Bible, and we'll say, hey, did you hear what Jehovah said today in church? But we never see Adonai at work in our lives. Until Jehovah and Elohim become Adonai, you're never going to see how big God is. Isaiah chapter 6. It's always funny, you know, I've been watching a lot of football, because guys like, like, I mean, a lot of gals too, but guys, football, right? And I think we got kind of footballed out, so my son Ben is in town. What do guys do if there's no football? Well, you watch a World War II movie, of course. And so um, um, so it's kind of funny. I'm watching this World War II movie, and one of these guys, you know, quotes Isaiah. I'm thinking, hey, that's... In the, that's in the. Anyway, so another time I've just wasted. That's 30 seconds. You're never going to get back. Okay, so uh, Isaiah 6, chapter 1, he is this. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai 
sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Interesting scripture. At the very beginning, I look at that and think, why do I need to know in the year the king died, then that Isaiah saw Adonai? I think because it looked to him like the human king was the key. He's looking, you know, then the human key died, the one that everybody looked to, he dies. And it wasn't until the human king died that Isaiah saw who really owned things, who, that he was still seated on his throne and that the, he was still the sovereign of the universe. And sometimes we won't see Adonai until something dies in our situation. You know, God will allow something to die in our circumstances, something that we're looking at, something that we're depending on. You know, he lets a job go away because we were banking on that job to be our financial future. It's not that God doesn't want you to have a secure financial future. He doesn't want you to depend on Safeway to be your secure financial future or the state of Washington or fill in the blank for where you were. He does not want you to be banking on them for your financial future. He wants your faith somewhere else. Or he lets that person be removed from your life because your thinking is, I don't know how I can get through life without this person. It's not that he wants to take away people that you love, but if you will put anything ahead of him, he's very willing to let that dissolve away from your life. So he lets something go away or gets rid of it or he lets it get... So that we can discover who is really in charge and who, who really owns us because the Uzziah's of life will keep us from seeing our own sin. And God will go ahead and wait for as long as it takes for those that he owns to get the point. Because remember, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's not like having to wait for his check to clear so he can take care of you and me. Psalm 50.10 says he owns those cattle on a thousand hills. And the thing is, he owns us too. You and me. He owns every one of us. You and I are only renters. We're just renters. You know, I, sometimes I forget that. I do. I, I think all of us do sometimes um, because everything that we have, every single thing we have is borrowed. Everything. There is nothing you have that isn't borrowed. <laughs> I mean, the clothes that you wear, you have borrowed them from some animal or some plant. <laughs> you have. You, you got up this morning for breakfast and maybe you had an orange that you borrowed from some tree that produced a, a seed. Or you're going to have a hamburger today and watch a football game that you're going to borrow from some animal because none of you made an animal. None of us have made an animal. We have borrowed everything we have. The air you breathe, you're borrowing it right now. And most of us, <laughs> me too, we tend to walk around and go like, well, I own this, so it's, I control this. It's mine to control. It's mine, it's mine. Yeah, but every bit of it's on loan. Everything. And when borrowers start to get heirs of being the owners of things, it kind of insults the true owner. The, the name Adonai means that you and I don't own his creation. We don't. You know, the Bible says you came into this world naked <laughs> and you're going to go out. Somebody might hang some clothes on you, but they're not going to stay too long. And God expects us to recognize him as Adonai. And that's why sometimes 
we're not seeing the presence of God or we're not seeing the power of God in our lives because we as God people, we want to use God's name, but we won't let him own the things of our lives. And that includes you physically because you were bought and paid for with a price if you're a Christian. You know, you've been bought with a price. He wants your, even your body, your soul, your spirit, all of you. David, one of our favorite characters, was known to be this, this man after God's own heart. And you can get a feel for this whole circumstance in, in 2 Samuel um, chapter 7. And he keeps saying, Adonai, Adonai, Adonai. We're going to see this here, and, uh, beginning in verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before Jehovah. And he said, Who am I, O Adonai, God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? He understands that we're borrowers. David understands that. You have brought me this far. And yet this was insignificant in your eyes. It wasn't that big a deal to you, God. O Adonai, God, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. You have my future in your hands, Adonai. And this is the custom of man, O Adonai, God. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Adonai, God. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. For this reason, you are great, O Adonai, God. For there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. No wonder David saw so much. He kept God in his eyes as Adonai. The one who owns. And the owner calls the shots. You know, we want God. We just don't always want owner God. We, and unless he owns you, you'll be limited in how much you experience, how much of God that you experience. And you may hear a lot about Jehovah in the word, but your experience of him is tied to your recognition that Elohim and Jehovah must be your Adonai. And he finally gets called Adonai in the circumstances of our life when they've gotten to the point where we no longer want to own ourselves. And God will wait. He will. He'll wait until you want to give up ownership. So I'm going to give you this in the vernacular of 2015. Adonai is the password for the unveiling of Jehovah. And this is not some sort of magical incantation. You just start using the word Adonai or Lord and it works. No, this is a state of the heart that's reflected in the choices and in the steps of life. You want to get more of Jehovah expressing himself or revealing himself or manifesting himself, he's got to be your Adonai. Jesus put it like this in the New Testament, and this is from Luke chapter 6. These are the words. This is Jesus talking. He says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Now, Jesus gives this example. I'm going to skip over it. But he basically talks about when you build your house, put it on a good foundation. It'll stand up if you put it on a good foundation. And then we're going to go down to verse 49. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation or a leaning tower. Okay, When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. He could have used the Tower of Pisa as his example because it hadn't been built yet. But that's what he's talking about. 
He's talking about a bad foundation. He's saying, he's saying, you know, you, you, you guys, he's saying to this crowd he's talking to, you talk the talk, but you're not walking it. Because if I owned you, you would find out what the owner wants. And if you don't find out what the owner wants, it's because you really don't believe that I own you. So go ahead and take care of yourselves. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you, you, if, if I owned you, you would figure out what I want. But if you don't figure out what I want, it's because you don't really agree that I own you. So you're on your own. Go ahead. Be your own Adonai. That's why so many people at times, and you probably have watched this, and I hope that you haven't had too judgmental a heart because you shouldn't. Do not get a judgmental heart about this. But we look around sometimes and we see people, and they're praying, God, bail me out. They do. And they've got these circumstances, but no solution seems to be coming from heaven. And the reason is because they are their own Adonai. They're their own Adonai. Please, church, do not get judgmental when you see that around people. Because when it happens in your own life, you're going to want grace. I know I do. And so they're they're their own Adonai, and they want to run their own lives. And men... We want to run our own lives independent of God. Of God, We do. Women, you want to run your lives independent of God. You do. <laughs> we want to run our own homes independently of God. We want to run our own finances independently. We want to run our careers independently of God, our relationships. And then we go to church and we say, oh God, you know, he's not working for me. But eventually, every single one of us will face this question probably over and over again in our lives. Is he Adonai for you? Is he owner? Or is he just this God in general? Because until we address this lordship issue, this owner issue, this master issue, then God's revelation of himself to you is going to be limited. You know, you just won't see him take you to a, that deeper level in your life because he only takes people to that deeper level that he owns. Until we solve that, you know, God's position, that, that whole lordship thing, God's position was, I can get a lot more done with a few than with a lot who've got to be their own Adonai. I mean, and I think it's pretty common. But anybody who, anybody who, believes in God, recognizes him as creator, but a lot fewer recognize him as Adonai. You know, there's only one appropriate response that we can give to Adonai, and that's surrender. Surrender of your will to his will. Your ways to his ways. Yourself to his self. You know, chaos, most, most of us spend our lives trying to manage chaos. We do. We, you know, my life is a mess. I got these problems and I'm trying to keep, keep them straight and motor forward, right? I mean, we do. You don't know what's, what you're going to face this week and you, you think you'll have a plan and then all of a sudden you're managing and juggling, you know. And I really believe that the Lord is saying, you will not have to manage chaos if I own you. You know, God is saying, you won't have to manage chaos if I could tell you men what it's like to be a man. What it's like to be a 
husband, what it's like to be a father, because I own you. Ladies, God would say, I, you won't have to manage all this chaos if I could tell you what it's like to be a woman, because I own you. You won't have to manage all this chaos if I could tell you how to manage your finances, because I own you. You won't, you won't have to manage all this chaos if I could tell you what you can do with your body and what you can't do with your body because I own you. <laughs> but if you take the position, no, you don't own me. This is mine. Because I am the captain of my own soul. I am the master of my own fate. Then God will absolutely not force his Adonaiship upon you. He'll hate that. Not because he doesn't get his way, but because he knows what happens when we follow our way. And it breaks his heart. But he will not force himself upon you. You know, if you want to go on court TV and entertain the rest of us, here's what'll happen, okay? <laughs> if you want to go and let one of the judges make the decision about, you know, your neighbor scraped your fence with a car or something, and you can't sort it out. If you want to go, you'll have to agree in advance that the judge will make a decision and it's final. You'll have to actually sign an agreement saying, okay, um, you, it's really a form of arbitration. It's not really the same as going to a real court. So both parties will have to agree and the judge will make a decision and it's final. If you're going to go there and then argue your case and then refuse it, they're not going to put you on there. They're just not going to do it. You have to sign in advance. And a lot of us kind of want to go to God and see if we like what he's going to rule. <laughs> and God says, that's just not how this works. You know, it's got to be decided in advance that I'm going to be the Adonai. I'm going to make the decisions. I'm going to listen to what you have to say. I'm going to hear all the facts. I'm not going to disregard your feelings. But then I'm going to make a decision, and it's going to be the final decision because I'm Adonai. And you're going to have to believe that I'm going to be fair, that I'm going to be good, that I'm going to be just. And even if the decision doesn't come out the way you'd prefer, you have to trust that because I'm Adonai. God wants to be your Adonai. You know, um, we have these deeds. Um, it's a piece of paper, and um, we use it as a legal document to transfer ownership, your car or your house. We need to have a deed that we can say to Jesus Christ, I'm handing over to you ownership of my life. I'm handing ownership, ownership to you, Lord, of my emotions. I'm, I'm giving you ownership of my family, of my finances. I'm giving it over to you, God. My, my very being, I'm giving it over to you. And I just have to believe that because you are Elohim, which means you can create from nothing, because you are Jehovah, you manifest yourself, I'm also going to make you Adonai so I can enjoy both of those things. And I'm, gonna, I'm tired of the chaos and I'm tired of the drama. I'm just going to deed it over. Let's pray.